Welcome to the A Day at DPL podcast. In this episode, Tamiko Towen from Canex provides best practices on how to talk to clients about annuities, the importance of understanding annuities for proper retirement planning, and shares top findings from the most recent Guaranteed Lifetime Income Study. Here's DPL's founder and CEO, David Lau. Welcome today to Tamiko Tolan from Canex. Uh, Tamiko, thanks for joining us. Tamiko is the Director of Retirement Markets for Canex, and Canex is a brand many RIAs and advisors are familiar with, a really respected brand, well-known for quality of its analysis and product data when it comes to annuities. And Tamiko, as the Director of Retirement Markets for Canex, you focus a lot of research on annuities, and that's, of course, one of our big focuses here at, at DPL as well. Can you tell us more about Canex's business model? A lot of people know Canex, but may not understand you know, the full business model, your approach to research and product evaluation, and particularly when it comes to annuities. So just tell us, inform us a little bit more about Canex generally. Great. Um, thanks for having me. Happy to be here and happy to talk about what we do at Canex. A lot of folks know us for our flagship product, which is the income annuity service. For SPIDEA, uh, we provide quoting for the bulk of annuities out there. We have been able to expand actually into the full range of annuity products. Um, so we provide, you know, obviously it's basic rating services, but also income analysis. And um, that's on uh, variable annuities with uh, income benefits, as well as fixed indexed annuities. We've been really trying to delve more into the products and what they do and where the value really is from a quantitative perspective. So we're getting a lot more into, for example, the proprietary indices for FIAs. Um, um, so you can make sense of it because it's very hard to look at just an index and then, you know, separately accrediting method. They, they don't operate independently. They actually work together. That's what we do. It's very important for us to collect the data. That's the core of the analysis. The analysis is no good if the data isn't isn't also good. <laughs> yes, that's a, you know, what do they say? Garbage in, garbage out, right? So <laughs> it's it's got to start with good data and good, and good uh, fact sets uh, to do good analysis. You're looking at annuities. Many people don't use that analytical approach. We try to do that as well, you know, both from finding products we think provide the most benefit to a particular client need, as well as like how do you allocate to an annuity, like how much, those kind of things. What are some of the particular aspects that you, that you guys look at that you think are particularly important when doing analysis of different product types? For the income analysis services, you, we have to really understand how the benefits work. For say an accumulation annuity, you just need to know what, what is the rate and that's the same for everybody, right? Mm -hmm. But when it comes to income, it really matters who you are and when you're going to start that income. And so, you know, one a product that may work really well for somebody who wants to start income relatively soon may not be the best thing for somebody who's going to be delaying for 10 years. That's one of the things that we try to uncover for people is to help them realize what's the best fit for that client situation. We use an actuarial present value as well as just sort of like your 0%, like if, if the markets didn't do anything kind of analysis. And this gives you a sense also of how much the markets can affect the income because some products are um, designed where, you know, maybe the guarantee is a little bit lower, but uh, market performance is really going to give you a lot more income. And so that's mm -hmm. more for one kind of client. 
And others may go the other direction where it's really this, the guarantee is quite solid, markets can go up, but they may not affect it as as much. So um, there's a lot more subtlety, I think, to product selection as opposed to just, you know, focusing on one specific number. Like there's a guarantee. Well, guarantees aren't all identical. Sure. Yeah. And so I mean, we generally see that like you're, I think you're alluding to a little bit the like a variable annuity typically is going to have a lower guaranteed rate, but because you're truly invested directly in the markets and doing it with tax deferral, you've, you know, theoretically got the ability to accumulate more, you know, from your starting point. So, you know, the actual payout might be higher because you can accumulate more than like in a fixed index product. Yeah, absolutely. And so it's a matter of, you know, what's your tolerance for some market related variation, but you we're not talking about a situation where you could get no income, right? right? So, you know, that's something that's important to, you know, people talk a lot about guardrails, but the guardrail, don't forget, it's like just on one side <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> because, you know, your income isn't going to go below X amount, um, but it could go a lot higher. And so this, that's why it's funny when people talk about guardrails, it's like, no, there's only, you know, one guardrail. Like if you're driving over a river on a bridge and there's sharks in the waters, uh, you know, on one side, there's sharks in the water. On the other side, there's money. <laughs> 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 That's right. That's right. So this is something that I don't know we were specifically teed up to talk about, but one of the things you, you talked about looking at proprietary indices within fixed indexed products and something I've looked into quite a bit myself. One of the things that a lot of advisors don't understand, nor is there a lot of information out there about which kind of strategies are best. But when you look at a fixed indexed annuities, typically the indices are going to come with one of three kind of limiting factors to the performance of the index. They're going to have a cap rate. It can't go above X percent performance, or it's going to have a par rate, a participation rate. You get 50% of whatever the index returns or a spread where above whatever 1%, 2% of return, you get you get all of it. Have you looked into or done research on, is there a better method? Is, is one of those three strategies better than the other you know, for delivering results for a client? We have looked at this and it's not a matter of better or worse. It's a matter of conviction. And it's also a component of the alchemy between the index itself and the crediting method. You can't mm-hmm. really get these things independently. Like, you know, yes, it's very easy to take something like the S&P 500 and run that through everything and then, you know, do a comparative analysis. But yep. then you take a different index that has a different performance style and that's going to look different. So, for example, when you lower volatility, right, one of the effects is, you know, obviously you want to reduce the amount of times that the index performs negatively in a given period. Um, and that's going to dampen the top. But if you're using yep. a cap strategy, everything above the cap is basically waste. And so you could have an index that net has a lower performance as an FIA bill may actually do better than the S&P with lower cap mm-hmm. or the same cap. Because if you have something that's very volatile and it's giving you those zero more 0% years, just cutting out one of those 0% years, even the same cap, may give you more performance. There are two different points, though. But so the cap, like I say, that because it limits the top, like everything else that goes above there, nobody cares about that, right? And with the par, it looks a lot more like the index because some percentage of the index. Mm-hmm. And some of this has to do with conviction. Like if you think that the market is going to be kind of mediocre, like very middle, low to middling, then the par is not great. 
But, you know, if you think, well, maybe it'll be volatile, but it's going to go really high and I want more of that upside, then the par makes more sense. So some of that is kind of a conviction matter, but you can't consider the conviction without also considering the underlying characteristics of that index. You didn't talk much about my favorite method, which is the spread, which you don't probably because you don't see spreads used nearly as much as as cap rates or par rates. What I like about the spread is it kind of makes the index analogous to a mutual fund. Right. So you have kind of a cost of the product and everything above the cost is effectively the return. You know, I've got my own theories as to why. You don't see spreads used as much. I think it's mostly because insurance carriers don't really want to expressly show you how much they're charging, how much they're charging. My guess is it's probably a pricing issue, although I don't know know that specifically, but they are priced really differently and they're sensitive to different things. And that's one of the reasons that that low volatility issue is really important, particularly when interest rates are as low as they are right now, is that the budget for buying your upside is so low. Being able to buy something that is lower volatility, that gives you more budget, right? It gives you the capacity to, to capture more upside. That's just one point. And we do see spreads actually combined a lot with PAR. We have done some work on spreads that hasn't been published, but the most two most common strategies are cap and PAR sort of naked. And then I would say I par with a spread. Right. I'll just make one of the points If we talk to advisors and they you know, wonder about what the effect is of you know, removing the commission. You know, it's really easy to see in a variable annuity. It just comes right out of an M&E. In the fixed index and other fixed products, it really comes out because they're spread products. You don't necessarily see the fees, yeah. but it gives you, as you were saying, more budget. You know, One way of reducing vol can give you more budget. You can buy you know, the options are a little cheaper, but the biggest way is take the commission out. That gives you a lot more, that gives you a lot more budget. And one of the other reasons we like what we do for consumers is because you're getting fiduciary implementation you know, of, of an insurance product, of, of an annuity. You're not getting sold product, particularly at a, as a point solution in isolation. Advisors are using the products within the context of a financial plan and a broader portfolio. Part of you know, our challenge, and I know you, you've got the same challenge at Canex, is how do you help advisors understand the products and understand how are they used appropriately in, in retirement planning strategies? What do, what do you see as your role in helping advisors with that? The work that we do, particularly on the income piece, but you know, it also works for accumulation. Frankly, a lot of the analysis that we do um, can be fed directly into planning software. So, you know, whether it doesn't have to be as like a specific product, you can use averages and you can use sort of like model products to say this is how this would fit into something at the planning stage. And then obviously, as far as selecting um, a product on the other end of it, but just understanding the basic dynamics of you know, even like a vanilla product is extremely helpful. We also have the ability to do a lot of that planning function and understanding the value of, you know, adding an annuity or, you know, whatever into a portfolio, like how does that affect your retirement outcomes? And so we think that there are a lot of ways of showing that that are very helpful to people to understand as opposed to simply looking at it um, from a return standpoint. And I think that's one of the things is that, you know, coming from a very financial analytic background, and looking at everything basically like a security, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? And these are not securities, they're insurance and they do different things. So how do you quantify those things to fit into that framework? And that's that's part of what we do to better model it for that purpose. We deal with the same thing, right? There's kind of, 
two constituents within you know typical RAA firms is the planner and the asset manager, right? And they're going to think about the products differently. The planner is going to look at them within the context of the plan and how do they affect the Monte Carlo score. And then the asset manager wants to know, well, what kind of return is going to generate? How does it fit within the rest of my portfolio? Yeah, it's true. I mean, we even ha- have a, a methodology for doing that with um, with a SPIA. So with an income annuity and saying, well, you know, how does this look like compared to an interest bearing product? I think that it's certainly possible to do. Like we've done a lot of things to try to figure out well, how do we understand these products and fit them into different contexts and also get people to understand that for some components, it's just not going to work in the way that you're mm-hmm. viewing the world. Like maybe that way that you're viewing the world isn't the best thing for a client in a certain phase of their life cycle. Boy, is that a topic, right? So, um, you know, talking about that, I mean, that's one of the things, you know, I like to talk about the evolution of the industry, you know, where retirement really hasn't been the biggest area of, of focus or study, you know, for an advisor. It's, you know, mostly been focused on accumulation, you know, for lots of reasons. Retirement not so long ago wasn't a huge challenge to fund. You had pensions, you you know, nobody worried about social security. The duration of retirement wasn't nearly as long as people anticipated it to be today. Interest rates were so much better. You could clip bond coupons. It was never all that complicated to think about how you're going to fund somebody's retirement. But today it really is. We've really seen, I think, quite a bit of movement over the last five years in the annuity word being the A word, as David Blanchett refers to it, and not having all the negative connotation that it used to. And we think, you know, commission-free products certainly helps that, but also just the need for it within a portfolio, within a plan in today's environment is really important. I think advisors are kind of waking up to that. And you've got lots of Wade Fowles of the world and Michael Finkas and David Blanchett's out talking about all the benefits of the research in so many different ways that annuities can bring to clients. But for those who are still on the other side of the fence, who still might be a little skeptical about annuities, who still haven't embraced what the benefits they can potentially bring to a client, what's your advice for those advisors? And how do they talk to their clients about annuities, particularly when they've maybe sold against them for so long? Are you having fun building retirement out of bond ladders right now? I mean, <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yeah, good and luck with that. The, to your point, the strategies that have worked in the past are not working now. So do they need to make a mea culpa? No, I think they just need to think about what they're trying to accomplish for their clients. And frankly, clients don't know that they hated annuities two years ago. <laughs> they don't. Right. 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 All you need to know is I got this strategy. I have a plan for you. And a piece of this plan involves this particular product that does this thing. And nobody cares if it's called an annuity or if it's called something else. That's not important. What's important is what this does for you, Mr. Mm-hmm. Client. And that's really the end of the story. To me, the consumer only cares about the value proposition. They don't care about all of the baggage from the industry. It's really up to the advisor to say, oh, I really need to revisit this. But I don't know how many choices you have. What are your options right now? I mean, there are not a lot of good alternatives right now. And so I don't think it matters how somebody felt two years ago about annuities. But I think today they've really got to consider the role that they can play in both the income generation as well as accumulation, frankly. Right. And, and and we kind of give you know that advisor who may have sold against the annuity a pivot, right? It, well, it used to be that they're all commissioned. It didn't fit my business model. You know, now there are products in the market that fit my business model. And 
you know, one of the things that's really interesting in talking to firms who are still trying to get over the hump on using annuities in hearing how they talk about bonds and fixed income. And it invokes in my mind like the old sweater that you just can't get rid of, right? I mean, it's all pilled and it's shrunk and it no longer fits and it's got holes in the elbow and, and somebody needs to tell you it's time to move on from the sweater. You know, maybe you need that spouse in your life to give you the honest feedback. But in hearing kind of the rationalization really around using bonds, it's changed. Back in the day, when you first came in the industry, bonds were there to be non-correlated to stocks. That's not true anymore, right? Bonds used to be there to provide steady yield and income and safety. Now you hear advisors say, oh, we don't look at bonds for, for yield. You know, we just look at them for safety. This is like, okay, so you, so basically you're just thinking about putting 40% of the portfolio under a mattress, right? I mean, so is that is that how you're thinking about it? And you think annuities are expensive. You know, why don't you take a look at an annuity? Uh, that's really not that expensive compared to just thinking about bonds simply for safety and not yield and getting nothing from a very large percentage of the portfolio. My question is, how bad does it have to get for you relative to your bond strategy before you'll start looking at an annuity. Apparently pretty bad, right? <laughs> That's I, right. I think we've arrived. I, I feel we have. <laughs> yeah. I mean, as Wade Faust says, there's no longer any upside to fixed income you know, or a bond. I mean, it used to be if, if the bonds went down, you could sell the bonds at a profit because you're getting you, you locked in at a higher yield. Bonds hopefully aren't going down. Hopefully they're not going into negative yield territory. It's not unheard of internationally. You were just talking about clients not necessarily being turned off by annuity, but you've got research that shows that some are. About one third of consumers who like the idea of guaranteeing Guaranteed income lost interest when they heard the word annuities. So, but you think the tide's turning about those products, and and what are the signs you see that you know annuity attitudes are changing? So I, I'm just going to reframe that because you have to look at those questions as they're presented. Right. So the question is, you know, what do you think about this value proposition, which is guaranteed lifetime income? Yep. And then you ask the exact same question, and then you use the word annuity. And so yep. the difference. Between those two, you know, you have some some drop off in interest, but you're just asking those isolated questions. You're not asking your planner comes to you with this comprehensive plan for your retirement that involves this product. And then this product is an annuity. Once you put it within that context, I think that the distaste for the word annuity is likely to drop off. So that's not actually the question that we're asking. And we do see that the people who are most likely to buy annuities are those who have somebody who's helping them, who's putting it into the context of a plan. Those are the people who are the happiest with it. So I think the answer to all of this comes down to the financial plan, retirement income plan, that this is the key. It's not about the product. Right. It's so easy to get focused on the this shiny bit. Yeah. Right? Like, oh, people don't like the word annuity. Right. Yep. So yeah, totally agree. You know, totally agree. And if they don't like annuity, it's because, you know, they've read about bad sales practices. One of the things that, you know, we talk about to advisors, you come at it in a different way with some research, but we say it in the way that 
your clients like annuities, right? I mean, people like annuities. The annuity market is a multi-trillion dollar market, and that's not because people distrust the products or don't like the products. They like the products. They like the benefits. You need to think in those terms, not the fact that your clients do not like annuities or whatever. Don't put your own biases on it. This is a multi-trillion dollar industry. People like the benefits. And you've, you've got research, you know, which talks about, you know, people with guaranteed income and the fact that they like and even recommend the products to, you know, to friends. There's no doubt that people like this value proposition and people like the security. And this is something that's hard to quantify, right? How do you quantify that if you build a plan for somebody that does have this, the income insurance versus not having the income insurance, that it's going to make your, your client not only feel better, but also be more satisfied with your services. Like it is very satisfying. And, you know, clients, sometimes, like if you ask them what they think, uh, they don't really understand. They don't really know. And, you know, they think that, oh, you know, investment growth is really important. Like, and we have questions around that. It's like, oh, you know, I think that my, it's important for my financial advisor to help me grow uh, my portfolio. And so they want growth and then they want safety and they don't get these trade-offs and, these are all gaps in understanding that can easily be breached by somebody competent sitting down and explaining, well, this is how this works. And you combine, you know, a little chocolate, a little peanut butter, mm-hmm. and then you get something that's better than, you know, either of these things separately. You know, that's definitely the case, right? It, it takes these days some combination, I think, of insurance and investments to really serve the client holistically and to deliver, you know, a good retirement outcome. It's really hard through investments alone. And, you know, we're certainly not in the camp of being insurance. People are saying insurance is the answer to everything. It fits a role within a plan. It fits a role and delivers a benefit. One of the interesting things that we kind of saw anecdotally as a firm, and you've seen it within research from Wade Fowle, is when people have guaranteed income, it's a whole lot easier to do the things your advisors are telling you to do. One of the things advisors tell you to do is stay the course, right? So during the pandemic, when the market's going crazy, you know, all of our firms are telling us, what are you, know, what are you telling your clients right now? And they're saying, stay the course, stay invested, ride through this. And when you have your income guaranteed in retirement, it's a heck of a lot easier to listen to that advice because you're not so worried about what's happening to the market and thinking about, oh, that could impact my retirement income or or my ability to retire or my lifestyle in retirement. I've taken care of that you know, through guaranteed income. It's a whole lot easier for me on the equity side of the portfolio to ride it out, which I think is fascinating. And one of the benefits not many people talk about. Yeah, absolutely. And also chasing volatility. I mean, the thing is that we need to chase volatility if we want to have that upside. One of the best ways to do that is create that secure base. And then that allows you to safely have a much more aggressive allocation than you would otherwise have to do. I mean, that is actually a loss to the client if you're not using products that give you that ability. We've talked a lot about the use of annuities, you know, within financial plans. You've written a lot about income and guarantees and uses of annuities within plans. What are some of the factors you think about when determining allocations to annuities? That, that's one of the biggest questions we get asked by advisors. They start hearing about the annuity, say, okay, I get it. This makes a lot of sense. How much do I allocate? You know, How much of the client portfolio goes in? What dollar amount do I put in for my client? How, how do you think about that? 
we do have a solution for that where you can figure out, you know, your annuity allocation and different types of products to increase the chance of your retirement success. So we certainly support that, right? Because we actually have that capability. There are a lot of different approaches. I mean, the, the biggies are like safety first. That's, you know, weight vows, like very yep. straightforward, like, you know, how much income do you need? And it's extremely easy to implement and understand and explain. And there are a lot of benefits to that. There's bucketing strategies, looking at sort of the time series of, you know, what your retirement is going to look like, and then, you know, allocating product accordingly. But then you can take more of like this total return approach, like a portfolio approach. And that can be done from the financial perspective we talked about earlier, or really from a retirement success perspective. That's actually kind of where our framework fits in with Mm -hmm. that and saying we want to achieve certain goals. And so obviously successful retirement is part of that. Legacy can be part of that as well. You want to know what those outcomes are going to be. Not everybody is going to have the same desire for legacy or need for legacy. Maybe they are going to do a solve through life insurance or, you know, maybe they, it would just right. be sort of happenstance of what's left over. Those are different kinds of planning decisions. So how the retirement goes is obviously a key part of that. Yeah. So these times really, we find demand new thoughts and, and questioning the status quo on, you know, things like fixed income. I even start questioning some strategies like bucketing strategies, which again, are behaviorally really good for a lot of clients. But a lot of advisors are still looking at like a three-year cash bucket for the beginning of retirement to help address sequence of returns and to keep that in funding the initial retirement. 10 years ago, when you might get 5% on that cash, how do you do bucketing today when you can't get any yield? Well, you know, that's a very good point. But I think that overall, this is gets to the fact that we need to update all of our views on how all of these pieces work. And, you know, I can't stress enough like that accumulation assumptions, you know, people used to think that you just accumulate as much as you can. You get to a certain point, you know, you crest the hill and then just take your 4%, 4.5% or whichever version of bang and rule you want to use. Right. Like, I mean, you know, obviously you're going to be adjusting along the way, but you know, and then that's just going to work. And, I don't think that that's the case. And especially when you're taking away some of the supports of that, like pensions, we can't assume that that's there. So when you're doing a lot of subtractions and you're not doing a lot of additions, you really have to tweak the efficiency and revisit the functionality of all these pieces. And like you were mentioning before, correlation. I mean, yikes, a lot of stuff doesn't work. I mean, the answer is not Bitcoin. Right. Though some say allocate 1% to Bitcoin. It might go to nothing. (laughs) <laughs> or, or you know, it might go to the moon and, you know, you wind up improving the overall performance. I'm not personally endorsing <laughs> that approach. But reti- I think retirement in general kind of gets under-focused because people are so focused on accumulation. Everything has historically just been geared around accumulation. I mean, that's the way advisors sold themselves back in the day. I've gotten 10% return every year, you know, for forever. My performance is great in helping you accumulate wealth, but how do you decumulate that wealth? And I think a simple, you know, 4% rule and will adjust, That that's not all that comforting. I mean, I've got personal experience, like with my father retiring, that just didn't sound like 
like a plan to him, right? That that sounded like some working statements, but not not a real plan. The one certainty within the financial plan is that it's wrong, right? It's completely wrong. Every assumption that it's going to be wrong, you're not going to guess the returns, you're not going to guess how long somebody's retirement is, etc. An annuity can bring some level of certainty in an important way for a client, which is you can be certain about some amount of income that you're going to get, which I think is tremendously important. Yeah, I completely agreed. I, you know, I think it's hard for people to move out of that mindset because it was so simple and easy. And now yeah. we're talking about things that are not as simple and they're not as easy. There's a lot more nuance. It's a whole different set of options and decisions. And I think that that makes it a lot more challenging for somebody to say, well, I'm going to change my entire practice. And by the way, I'm going to need to use like different planning software or the planning software I'm using is going to have to adjust to this different way of doing things. Um, So I, I, I I certainly respect the fact that it is not the easiest thing. And it was so much more fun when you just had basically two different Lego blocks. It was the accumulate Lego block and a SWIP Lego block. And that was it. (laughs) Right. Right. And for for me, one of the things that we really want to encourage advisors to do when it comes to that decumulation in retirement is ask your client. Right. So you you ask your client how they want to accumulate. You have to. Right. So even though you might have a 35 year old client and you know that they've got plenty of time in the market and they should be invested, you know, towards the aggressive side of a portfolio. If they tell you they're completely risk averse and and not willing to lose money in the markets, you have to invest them conservatively. You know, even though you you think it's better for them. You know, when it comes to retirement advisors don't do that. They they don't say anymore how willing are you to risk your income? in retirement. You know, it's, it's, here's how I do retirement. It's a 4% rule. And then we'll adjust your spending as it goes along. Nobody, you know, in, in our world, in the RA world really historically said, would you like to use an annuity (laughs) when it comes to, you know, how, how risk averse are you relative to your retirement income? And should we look at guaranteeing a portion of your retirement income? And let's talk to you about the benefits of doing that. People just don't have that conversation. They still, the risk conversation they're having at retirement is the same one that they had when, when the client was 40 years old, you know, it's still how risk averse are you to losing assets in the market? It's a different muscle. And I I think that you find that the RAs that exercise that muscle are extremely successful and create really good outcomes for their clients. And they feel really confident about that. And that should really speak volumes to the naysayers out there. Yeah, it does. I mean, that's the, the biggest thing for us is getting somebody to look. Right. You know, you get so many people, so many advisors are just like, I don't do annuities. I don't like annuities. They're expensive. They're complex, blah, blah, blah. And as we were talking about earlier, there isn't an annuity, right? There's all kinds of annuities, you know, with all kinds of different features and function and all that. Take a look. Why don't you take a look? Put put one into your planning software. Talk to your client about one. See how they react. See how the plan may improve. And look at the products without just rejecting them out of hand. It's hard to serve your clients well when you've eliminated an entire class of products to invest in. Well, that's and that's our perspective is the product allocation. Yeah, as opposed to pure asset allocation, that you're looking at products and how they function as opposed to sort of the traditional asset classes. Um, so, yes, it, I think that getting people to look 
Because the numbers are the numbers once you start looking at it like that. And that's what speaks for itself. Not somebody saying I have a shiny brochure, but right. you know, this is how it actually functions. These are the numbers. And then you can make your decision there about what you think is a good idea for your client. Yeah. I mean, the the successful advisors we work with, now that they start plugging into the planning software, that's the biggest proof point. It's great for the advisor. It's great for the client because it really shows the benefit, particularly for those clients who are having a longer life expectancy. It's really going to improve the financial plan. You hear the advisors talk about it. It can be night and day when you use an annuity rather than a fixed income bond ladder that's going to yield pretty much nothing. So I think I'm supposed to let you ask me a question, I'm right? I'm letting you go back to your reporter days and I'm going to answer a question here for you. You know, back in the day with Jefferson National, you know, this is a company that obviously made tremendous headway um, with the RA market and, you know, with a fee-based VA, right? And the story was always around tax deferral and income products are not the thing. It was an extremely monotonous lens, right, for marketing. And now here you are and your story has really changed a lot. And I would love to know more about your journey from that place. I I have my suspicions and I I can certainly add commentary, but I'm going to withhold that. (laughs) So for me, my kind of personal journey has always been built around a similar thing for my whole career in financial services. It's really about how do you deliver better value to the end consumer? So whether it was at, you know, Telebank where we were the first internet bank and really before that, the first branchless bank, the reason we were was so you could get rid of a branch and get rid of all that overhead and expense of distribution and provide a better product to the end client. And at at Jefferson National, the original notion around building Monument Advisor and that product, which is, you know, the flat fee, $20 a month product was how do we deliver better value to the, the end consumer? And in insurance, it was get rid of the commission. The commission drives up the cost quite a bit. And then it becomes the question of, well, then who's going to use the product? You know, it's not going to be the traditional distribution. And I identified the RA market as the market to distribute into and the the market that could use the product. The model in building the product was really Schwab OneSource. Schwab still is the largest custodian. OneSource is their mutual fund marketplace. And the notion was, okay, let's boil down a variable annuity to what the core benefit is, and that's tax deferral and tax deferred accumulation. And we're dealing with a a market of people who are investors. So let's basically create a tax deferred version of OneSource. And so we had, as you know, you know, 400 different investment options and all these different uh, technical capabilities. And so the focus was very much on, you know, tax deferred accumulation and you know as we I think we were talking about earlier get your client out of a bad product and into a lower priced one but over the course of time in working in the RA market you realize a number of things one they're evolving from just being asset managers to being financial planners and insurance is an important component to a financial plan and the ability to utilize those products for an RIA meant that they had to have products that were built in a way that were compatible with their business model. And so at Jefferson National, we were never about guaranteed income. It was kind of because we couldn't be. We were a really small carrier, right? I mean, we were a, a tiny carrier with a, you know, at times while I was there, a B minus rating. Uh, you, you weren't really going to get lifetime income with a B minus rating. So we built the product that we could build, which was a separate accounts 
tax deferred growth product. But really, you know, all the different types of products should be available to an RIA. So you've got all the tools at your disposal to deliver the best client outcomes that you can. And at the same time, you know, guaranteed income has always been something that academics and economists have touted the virtue of. The notion was, can we bring a marketplace of commission-free insurance out to RIAs so that they can have available to them all the same products and capabilities that every other advisor has in every other channel? Because RIAs have frankly been handicapped in their ability to deliver financial plans and, and retirement outcomes for their clients over advisors and other channels. And at the same time, while this is all going on, every advisor and every other channel is starting to look like an RIA. Right. They're they're starting to bill their clients on fees based on assets under management. They're acting in clients' best interest. And by the way, they can fulfill your insurance needs too. So they're becoming more and more competitive with the RAA. And now for the RAA not to be able to provide insurance is a negative competitive <laughs> competitive differentiation. They really need to be able to provide all the same solutions. Does that uh, get to the to your observation or did you have some other thoughts? <laughs> Oh, no. I mean, I Jefferson National didn't have the paper to write a death benefit. Correct. Which is a living benefit. Um, but there was a partnership <laughs> with Phoenix. Yes. So get credit for that. Um, no, I, it's it's really interesting to see the evolution of you into this business yep. and providing a much more robust set of services and really helping to fulfill that need in a different way that can't just be done by individual carriers. I think right. that that's the important recognition, right? Is that this isn't just about a product. We focus so much on product and I'm obviously you need to have a product that's structured correctly. And, and like you were just saying to fit in the marketplace, the PLRs don't hurt, but you know, the reality is that there's a little bit more of like a cushion around, it uh, from a servicing standpoint, from a comprehension standpoint, like in really integrating this new part of the business that's yeah. necessary to make RA successful. So, you know, it's just great to see it. And that was part of the realization. As we we're building Jefferson National and the aha moment came for me literally in bed one night, the best way to approach this, you know, the RA marketplace is not to do it from a particular carrier's point of view. You really need choice. You need to, you know, you need to have a platform. You need to represent multiple carriers. So you're always so no matter how good your product is from a you know, particular manufacturer point of view, there can be other products that are better or built for different purposes and they can do things that you're that aren't necessarily your bread and butter, or your expertise. So you really need a variety of product, you know, in order to you know find the best solutions for a particular client and a particular need. And you know, nobody knows that better than RAs, right? So I mean, that, that's they're not captive distribution in any way. I mean, the, lots of them have gotten away from you know the the wirehouse where they might have had a push proprietary product, or you know, working in you know coming up in the insurance business. Many of them where they you know, may have you know how to work with proprietary product you know they want to be agnostic they want to be holistic they want to you know they want to be able to find you know the best solutions for their clients no matter where they come from woohoo <laughs> woohoo <laughs> fantastic thank you tamiko for being on a day at dpl it was great fun to have you we enjoyed having you with the team and i really enjoyed our conversation thanks again thanks so much for having me it was great fun can't wait to do it in person Thanks for listening. To hear more episodes, go to dplfp.com and subscribe on Apple and Google Podcasts and Spotify.